Hey, hey, good morning, afternoon, or evening, good people, wherever you are, wherever you happen to be, and however we're together. Thank you for being here. I'm Dave, and this is Dave's Head. So what's in my head? Um, It's that time again. It's time <laughs> for some out-of-touch, aging white man to declare that he's the best thing for this country. Oh, you know, throwing a woman or two as well. It's time for the candidates to announce their campaigns for president of the United States. If you're not familiar with this, if you're, you know, coming out from being under a rock, it's the elongated, incredibly way too long campaign season for presidents kind of getting into high gear now. So, you know, some notable names who've announced their candidacy for 2024. Yes, we're still in 2023. But the elections in 2024 election are Sleepy or Woke Biden, depending on what day of the week it is, because Republicans called him Sleepy. And then he supposedly or possibly, maybe, sort of, depending on who you ask, outmaneuvered Republicans to sign and pass debt ceiling legislation. Um, so now he's woke Biden. I don't know. Who knows? So sleepy or woke Biden, he's in. Uh, Tattletail Trump, welcome to the party. He's also in, of course. He wants to make America great again. I still have not gotten a great answer for when exactly America was great and what we're trying to get back to. What was going on then? What time period was this? We got Sloth Pence. Move slow, talk slow, act slow. But he wants to be your president. Sloth Pence. Boy, cry, wolf, DeSantis cry. That's what I call him, DeSantis cry. His real name is DeSantis. But I call him boy, cry, wolf, DeSantis cry. If you got an education system, he wants to gut it. He wants to attack and kill wokeness. Because that's the big problem in this country, wokeness. There's another Kennedy. I don't know. There's like a Kennedy factory. I don't even know the name of this person or what he's done in his life. But there's another Kennedy who wants to be president. There's a Haley, and not the Comet. There's a Haley who wants to be president. She's a former Trumper, but now wants to run against him to become the Republican nominee. Cool. I don't know nothing about her, really. There's Krispy Kreme Christy. Welcome back to the party, brother. No bridges to uh, shut down anymore in Jersey. No more trunk slopping every word he says. Now he wants to be president. Okay, cool. There's there's Tim Scott paper. I, I I don't even know why he's here anymore. Tim Scott, uh, I guess welcome. I, what is he, what does he do? Seriously, what does Tim Scott actually do? And the last one worth mentioning is Brother Cornell West. As of I believe yesterday, he's now put his hat into the mix. Third party candidate. I think it's a Freedom Party. I can't remember which party he actually is affiliated with, but it's an independent third party. Um, I, I don't know what to say about Cornell West. Um, he's been controversial. He has a lot of good things to say. Very historically speaking type of brother, uh, historically fact, I should say, you got to make a distinction now because there's history and there's historical fact. One of those, are, there's a war being words or waged on them right now, but I, um, that, that's, <laughs> that's the slate. And that's my opinion of who's even possible to be president. From that list, that that's your list, good people. Stick your hand in, close your eyes, pull out one of those names. That's who's going to be your next president. 
Congratulations. I'm really just kind of sick of the recycled hot garbage stinking up every branch of this government. I mean, it's the same people over and over and over again fighting the same stupid fights, getting into the same stupid arguments, claiming you're the enemy or that's the enemy or this is the person you should be mad at or that's the person you should be mad at. We're going to fix this and fix that in every four years or every two years, depending on what office you're running for or every eight years or six years or whatever. They make the same scare tactic claims. Now it's it's the America's under attack. We got it. The wokeness is this and and you're trying to steal that and because remember, immigrants were stealing everything. I mean, there weren't be, there weren't supposed to be any jobs left back in 2008 because immigrants were stealing everything. They were jumping over the fence or walking or digging tunnels or flying and taking all the jobs that Americans wanted. That was the big fear thing back in 2008. So that didn't happen, obviously. Um, then it was, it, was, it was Obama in 2008 because he wanted to spread the wealth. So now they want to take all the, the stuff from you that you hard-earned and want to take it and claim it because they want to spread the wealth. Then that didn't happen either. Then it, then it was, we're going to take guns, it's coming after your guns, and that, that didn't happen either. And now we're, we're got the sand cry, trying to change education. History can't be taught anymore in Florida, true factual history, because it's, it's offensive to people to know about the history of this country. And then now wokeness is a thing. So I, I always go back to the same thing. You use these terms, wokeness, socialism, all these scare tactics, make America great again. Use all these terms, and even the ones that are attacked, Black Lives Matter, right? Because it's really about, always say this, low-information voters. If you say something enough to low-information voters, they believe it. And not just voters, low-information people, people who don't bother to do their own research. They listen to some talking head on Fox News or MSNBC or CNN or their brother at the barbershop or their sister who ran for office way back in the day and got 13 votes locally. Like, define these things in your own words. What does woke mean to you? What does Black Lives Matter mean to you? What do, what do all these things, when was America great again? What circumstances were surrounding? What years did this encompass? What made it so great compared to today? Because we used to be able to smoke cigarettes on airplanes. Do you want to go back to that? I don't want to fly the friendly skies with a cloud of smoke on a damn plane. But that might be the time period where America was great again. There's a lot of other things going on then too. But I'm really, I, I feel like every incumbent, and I, I've said this many times, every incumbent needs to be voted out. We need term limits in every branch of the government. Executive, legislative, judicial. Term limits. You should not be able to serve for 40, 50, 60, 70 years. Because what exactly are you going to accomplish in 40, 50, 60, 70 years that you couldn't accomplish in, say, 10, 15? I don't mind you serving for a generation. Make the, make the limits hard cap 20 years. Go on, retire, do something else with your life, open up a restaurant, who cares? But you can't sit here and claim to be about the people and their best intent and what's best for them and best for this country, and you're doing the same recycled crap over and over and over again. 
Now, we know Congress is never going to pass term limits for themselves. They're not going to do it. But if somehow collectively this country could come together for something like term limits and really put a mark on their vote that they will not elect or reelect anyone who does not proclaim, sign a letter or whatever, that they will vote yes for term limits. If they don't sign this letter and make it official, make it like a affidavit, make it something that they're, they're bound to whatever, whatever. But if we actually came together and said, without term limits, you will not get our vote. The same way we do certain parties with guns and abortion and civil rights and voting rights. We do all, we hold all these, these cards because we, they want our votes. doesn't matter what side of aisle you're on. If we all come together and say, we don't pass term limits, you don't agree to pass term limits, you don't actually do it, you will not get our vote. Now, we may get fooled. Somebody may, some representative who's two-year terms, may say, yeah, I'm going to do it, and then not do it. Okay, you automatically don't get our vote next time around. A senator may do the same thing. Okay, I believe Senate's six years. Okay, cool, you don't get our vote next time around. Let's do that. This way we can clean out every. I don't care if you're a freshman this year or not. Term limits right now. That's the way to change anything. Because I'm, I'm sick of this same recycle, like I said, hot garbage, stinking up every branch of our government. You only need to be 35, a U.S. citizen, and have lived here for 14 years to be president. Are you telling me there is no one qualified that's 35 and a U.S. citizen to become president? No one. Well, shit, let me run. I'm 45. I've been here all my life. U.S. citizen. I've traveled around the world. I've been to Europe. I've been to the islands a bunch of time, vacationing. But I've been around the world. I've met different people. How hard is foreign policy? You don't shoot us, we won't shoot you. You trade fairly, we'll trade fairly. Done. Next topic. We make these things harder than they have to be because the harder they seem, the less people want to actually research and invest time to get it right. But if we get term limits, suddenly people have to start telling the truth a little bit more, I think. I could be totally wrong, but I feel like if there are term limits, people have to tell just a little bit more truth. Look at the examples of the representatives and senators who retired and suddenly they're doing the right thing. As they go out, right? Suddenly they're casting the right votes. Suddenly they're doing for the people more. Why? Because their term is ending. Term limits are the way to go. And if you should, like, if you lose two elections or there, there's got to be some rule to keep you from, from trying to be president. I'm sick of seeing some of the names in here. Like Krispy Kreme Christie. And I apologize if that name offends anybody. Actually, I don't apologize, but why is he running? He's never going to win. Like ever. Why is Tim Scott running? He's never going to win. What is what has Tim Scott actually done? But there's so many other people. If you actually go down the list, there's a lot of people who actually 
put their name in a hat to run for president. They're just not notable, so you don't know about them. But but check it out. Google it. <clears throat> One day, we'll get the balls to force these representatives and senators, Congress, to pass term limits on themselves. One day, we'll get the courage to hold them accountable. Until then, we're stuck with this two-party crap system that keeps recycling the same hot garbage. Next thing that's on my mind is something that's that's kind of laughable, but it's typical. And it's actually fresh breaking news that I wasn't actually planning to talk about, but it's so, so fresh and so big and so predictable that I had no choice but to talk about it. The PGA Tour and Liv have decided to come together after months of guys on this side of the fence and that side of the fence throwing shots, saying that they have no sense of history, they're not committed to the, to, to the legacy and the, the richness and the history of the PGA Tour, the PGA and Tour and Liv decided to stop suing each other and merge and become one, along with a third party. I forget who it is. I don't care. That's not a big story here. The big story is the PGA... After all this talk, even solicited Tiger Woods to, to come in and be the big spine that they didn't have, they go and partner with Liv. The Saudi back Liv. The supposed blood money back Liv. All these venomous comments sell out this and prestige and history that. Once again, what it comes down to in this world is money. Money, money, money. 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 It's a song. You should, you should know. But that's really what it all comes down to. There's not a lot of dialogue about this. It's just very comical to me that I had to mention it. Because I really want to see, it's not about the merger and I see Phil Mickelson, excuse me, Phil Mickelson um, tweeted about it being a great day or something like that, which I'm, I'm sure it's pretty, it's, there's a lot of tongue in cheek sarcasm there because he was one of the ones attacked for joining Liv. But <clears throat> there's not a lot more commentary about this because this is kind of going to write itself. What's the next step? Because at some point, the guys who've been talking shit about each other are going to be in the same room, same space, because now they work for the same company or they golf for the same organizations. How are these pots going to be all of a sudden? Will the PGA pots skyrocket to match lives? I mean, it's all one organization now. But this is all about money. It's all about the fact that the Saudis were pouring a ton of money into live. But they were in competition with the biggest and greatest golf organization in the world, the PGA Tour. Something every golfer aspired to get to, get their PGA card. Nobody wanted to get their live card growing up. They wanted to get their PGA card. And now the Saudis have bought the PGA. And so now it's all about ROI, right? Now the Saudis have dumped a ton of money into it because they have a ton of money, but they dumped a ton of money into live. Now get to instantly see this Start coming back. 
because supposedly or reportedly Live is going to become one of the biggest sponsors of PGA tours and tournaments. But as we all know, sponsors get kickbacks. Sponsors get perks for sponsoring. There's an ROI for the sponsorship. This is why so many people will sponsor because they get something on the backside of it. But it's, it's just, it's amazing to me how this was all about the supposed prestige and history of the PGA and how those who joined live were selling out that history and selling out that prestige, walking away from that prestige until dollars and cents made sense. It's the way of the world. What's in my head is brought to you in part by Digga Movers, your safe and swift moving company. An A-plus rated one-stop shop licensed and insured moving company, providing local and long-distance services on the move. For more information, visit their website at www.diggummovers.com or call 1-888-77-DIGGUM. That's 1-888-773-4436. The last thing that's on my mind is something that's pretty damn amazing to me. Last week, my goddaughter turned 16. Sweet 16. By the way, is, is Sweet 16 a thing still, or am I just really old? Because, you know, I'm at the age, I'm, I'm coming up. I don't think I'm old. I don't feel old, although part of me feels old right now. I'm, I'm going to get to that in a second. But is Sweet 16, like, still a, a thing thing? Um, you don't have to answer that. So she's big, and I mean big, like big, big into cosplay which by the way until like three months ago i had no idea there was a term cosplay and I had no idea what it was um but around that time or a little before i ran like seriously randomly uh came across it was either email or ad or something that said that there was gonna be a fan expo in philly my first thought was what the hell is fan expo because i never heard of it um i've heard of comic-con but it's essentially the same thing. And maybe, you know, in the circle, large, large circle of people who go to fan expos and Comic-Con, maybe they're one and the same. But I never heard of fan expo. And so I send a message to uh, one of my best friends who's a mother of my goddaughter and said, because I knew that she was into cosplay, but I had never taken the time to actually look up what it is, what it means, all this stuff. But I knew she was big into it. And so looking up Fan Expo, I saw the word cosplay and I'm like, hmm, this might be a nice gift for her for her 16th birthday. I said, hey, would this be a nice gift? And she wrote back, oh my God, it'd be amazing. She would love it. I'm like, okay, cool. So um, my surprise to her was a weekend pass to the expo. And then I did some like ultimate package where she got gifts and lanyards and t-shirts and all this other stuff. She found out about that surprise on her birthday. Crazy excited. Like just Blew up my phone, had a great love conversation. She was excited. Like a teenager would be excited about something they really, really love. She knew about the expo. She didn't know about my real surprise for her was that I was going to go. I bought myself a ticket for Friday only, last Friday. And I had found out, with you know, she had got a costume and a helmet for her favorite character in Star Wars, uh, Bo-Katan. I'm saying this. Because I'm used to hearing it. I have no idea what that means. I'm just putting it out there. Like I, I know now who Bo-Katan is. I don't know what they are. I found out they're pretty good guys. I think. You know. Whole thing. 
but she did not know that I had gotten a costume myself. And she told me exactly what I was. Cause I still had no idea what I was. I knew like, I didn't know if I was a good guy or a bad guy or not, but I supposedly, I saved baby Yoda at some point in, um, Mandalorian. So this is all from Mandalorian, her favorite show. And so Bo-Katan or the character and I'm, is blanking right now on the name, but I will say this. Um, when I was there, we got a chance to see uh, Bo-Katan's character um, interviewed. So they had a whole feature segment where they were interviewed. And my goddaughter, introvert, shy, not really public speaking like that, got herself up in front of the mic and got to ask her favorite, favorite person of all time a question. And uh, Bo-Katan's character, I'll flash it on the screen if you're watching on <laughs> on um, YouTube or Spotify. But... Um, she said my goddaughter's name and it was like the biggest thing to her and all this stuff. Um, but yeah, so I, I got a costume and we went together on Friday. And so if you're watching on Spotify, or YouTube, I literally had, or technically have at this moment, a flare up of turf toe, um, that I got first a couple years ago, flared up, kind of went away in a couple days with some anti-inflammatories and some ice and elevation. Cool. Um, but this one is a lot worse. I don't know why, because I'm not even playing football anymore. If you remember, I retired, um, but I have been playing a lot more golf. I walked in a parade on Memorial day. Um, and I think that just kind of set things in motion. It, it just blew up, uh, the next day. Like even today, like right now I could barely move my big toe because I'm still recovering from the, uh, turf toe, but people said it kind of blended in with the costume. You tell me you're looking at the picture. You tell me, um, I don't think I've ever been personally responsible for putting a like permanent smile on a child's face like that before. Um, it was incredibly heartwarming uh, to see her in the expo looking around people walking up because her costume was fire. Let me just say that. I don't care if I'm in a cosplay or not. Her costume was fire. Her helmet was real. It like, her costume was fire. That's all I'm going to say. But she had people coming up to her. Can I take a picture with you? Um, first of all, I was a little geek because I saw Power Rangers people there. She wanted to take a picture with them. She said, oh, Power Rangers. And she's not knowing that. Holy crap. I grew up on Power Rangers. Yay. But then I just look like an old guy. But anyway. Um, but yeah, people were coming up to her, asking to take her picture. People at, and coming up to both of us and saying, can we take a picture with both of y'all? And saying our costumes look fire, even though I forgot the freaking cape at home yeah listen to me i forgot the cape to my costume because after i showered and everything i got to put my boot on because my you know my turf toes acting up i put the cape in the bathroom because the steam from the shower was still going so i said hey any wrinkles listen i'm a perfectionist i need to get the wrinkles out hung it in the bathroom and left the damn thing in the bathroom but still worked out but people were walking up to us asking to take our pictures together and all this stuff giving us dap for our costume they're like this is love but Here's what I'll say. Um, first of all, she said probably 10, 15 times it was the greatest day of her life, which I don't know about you, but having a child, and she's, yeah, she's 16. She's a, she's a very mature child. She's a young adult. But having someone say that to you and knowing that you're responsible for it, I don't even know how to describe the feeling because she kept saying it, and I'm like, it's no problem. Don't worry about it. Like, listen, you're my god child. I'm going to do this for you. But to have someone 
wear a smile, a purely genuine smile, because they are so happy for something you did for them. It's just, it's just heartwarming. It's the only way I can describe it. But on another note, and I posted this on social media, um, I've never, ever been out nerded at one time by so many people in my life. I consider myself a nerd. I was always, I was called a nerd in high school. As an adult, I've been called a handsome nerd. You know, I don't know if that's genuine or not, but I've been called a handsome nerd. But there were whole conversations happening around me that sounded like cotton mouth verbal braille. Yeah, figure that out. That's what it sounded like to me. I had no idea what the hell people were talking about. There was a whole different language being spoken. We need to check and make sure they're not terrorists. I don't know what the hell was happening at some point in that, that fan expo, but there was like whole languages being spoken. My goddaughter said something to somebody at one point and they laughed. I'm like, what the hell did she just say? Anyway, I'll, I'll say this. I, and just, just my, my PSA moment for this, this episode. I say nerd lovingly because I was considered a nerd from very early in education, very elementary school. Um, I was a nerd growing up. Please, um, anybody out there, uh, don't take offense to that term. I look at it as a term of endearment. Do not be afraid of the things you're great at. And nerds are called nerds, characterized as nerds, even made fun of as nerds because they're great at something that other people aren't. So do not be ashamed of your nerdery. And that's what I'm calling it. I have my nerdery. Um, do not be ashamed of it because look at it as it's the foundation for what you're going to be great at in life. And so be okay with being a nerd. There's nothing wrong with nerd. If someone calls you a nerd, say thank you. I appreciate it. But the the best part, um, and I, I keep coming back to this, the best part is that smile that my goddaughter had. Even after we got back to her house and I took off my uh, costume because I had on a whole outfit underneath, like, you know, shorts and a, a t-shirt. But I had a whole outfit on, took the uh, foot brace off, and I'm sitting there and I'm listening to her. Just kind of go recap everything. She's so excited. And my foot is just throbbing like just like because I mean, think about this. You're walking around a convention center, the parking for the convention center, which is where I normally park. You go across the street, you're in a convention center. Well, no, it was the opposite end of the convention center. So we had to walk like two and a half blocks and then walk in and go through security and walk upstairs. And you got to the convention hall finally. And then I had to walk back. And then all the walking I did in there, my foot was on fire. And I'm talking like, it's already swollen. It's like, it's throbbing like crazy. And I'm sitting there listening to the stories. I'm like, ah, oh, yes, yes, yes. I just want to cry inside because my foot is in so much pain. But it was all for my goddaughter for a sweet 16. I would do it again. I would do it twice on Sunday. Um, because the best thing is, is seeing the smile on a child's face. So if you get an opportunity, put that smile on your child's face. Do something. Find out what they love. I don't care if it's something from the nerdery or if it's something sports or something handy. Feed into their passion, um, be intentional with it, um, you know, because you never know what today will do for them, how it will stick with them, how it will motivate them. She could go on to be a set designer, who knows, in the future. And she might look back at this day and this weekend, really, and say, you know, I, I went to a fan expo and it just took off or maybe not. Maybe it's just something, you know, she turned 17, she ain't in a cosplay anymore. Who knows? Um, but the opportunity to put a child or put a smile on some child's face, 
do that every chance you get. It's such a heartwarming, amazing feeling. That's what's in my head. So it's uh, it's no secret that I've kind of floated the idea for a while, uh, for a while, for a while. Like we've talked about this multiple times during episodes throughout the seasons that I like to write uh, my own book or five someday. Um, now, I could BS you and tell you that I'm just too busy or throw any other type of excuses at you. But, you know, I keep it real on this podcast. And honestly, it just hasn't been a priority. It hasn't been something I've leaned into or been intentional with. And this is by my own choices. When I'm intentional with something's priority, you know how I go 150% and I'll sleep when I sleep. Um, but eventually I'm going to get to it. I'm not going to lie. Eventually, hopefully, is really soon, especially after this, this episode here. A um, couple things I want to talk about before we get to my guests. Uh, the number of new self-published titles that have both ISBNs, which ISBN stands for International Standard Book Number. Um, it's a unique number, commercial number, um, book identifier. Um, and BSAC codes. BSAC stands for Book Industry Standards and Communications, which is a nine-digit or nine-alphanumeric um, character code that tells book retailers, librarians, what categories, subcategories books are in. Now, the number of new self-published books that had both of those was about 2.3, a little less than 2.3 million in 2021, which is a slight decline from the prior two years but still well above the 1.5 million titles registered with Balker in 2018. In 2021, there were 2.3 million new self-published titles with only ISBNs, which is about a 15% decline from 2020. Now, according to Zapia.com, the U.S. book industry made $29.33 billion, with a B, dollars in revenue in 2021, including self-published and commercially published books. About 4 million new books were published in 2022. It's a lot of books. Now, I'll give you a second to answer this question on your own, but what do you think the most popular genre of book was? And I'll give you a whole second. Romance. Romance was the number one category with about 32 million printed copies in 2022. Now imagine all the categories. And I said that there were 4 million books published, uh, new books published in 22, but 32 million in 2022 were romance. Now, according to selfpublishingadvice.org, Amazon Kindle Unlimited paid out over, I laugh at this number because it's just a ridiculous number, but Amazon Kindle Unlimited paid out over a quarter of a billion dollars, which is really 250 million, but it sounds so much bigger when you say quarter of a billion, but a quarter of a billion dollars to indie authors in 2019. According to Balker Records, Amazon's market share of self-published print books in the U.S. increased from 6% in 2007 to ridiculous 92% in 2018. If that, I mean, I don't think they even define it as cornering the market anymore. It's kind of like the, there is no market but Amazon. But um, I say all that to say it would appear that the market is kind of right for me to jump into and start self-authoring and self-publishing, right? I mean, you would think so. Um, and like I said, it's something I'm going to work on, especially after this episode. But there's a reason I'm talking about this. And the reason I'm talking about it is I want to bring in my guest for this episode, Fortune. Now, Fortune is a self-publishing strategist, best-selling author of multiple books, and creator of the signature book formula, which is trademarked. Congratulations. He's the founder of No Doubt Nation, where the followers live by the one mantra, make life happen every day. He is the mastermind behind the hashtag One Book Away movement and the Wealthy Author Podcast. Through his books, speaking, and business, he teaches entrepreneurs and speakers how to write, publish, and turn branded books into multiple streams of income. Welcome to Dave's Head Fortune. How's it going? Uh, I am 
super excited with all the stats you just read off because I've been talking about this for a little while. <laughs> gotcha. glad yeah, to be so here, I, I do all the, the research I do for my my episodes, and I'm I'm some astounded sometimes by certain things I find. Mm-hmm. The amount of money poured into self publishing books, and we'll get into all that, but I yep. just just the stats that just blew my mind away. Now, granted, two hundred fifty million to some people doesn't sound like a lot. You say a quarter of a billion, that sounds like a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all in the wording, right? Which obviously, as a self published author, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did get an intro for you, very small one. But I like my art, my artist. <laughs> See, we talked about artists already. I like <laughs> about um, I like my guests to introduce themselves. So if you could take a moment, tell the people who you are, what you do, and what you're about. Excellent, excellent. Uh, my name is Fortune. I, as a, as the intro said, I'm a self publishing strategist and an author. I specifically look to help coaches and consultants and speakers to write, uh, become wealthy authors by writing a signature book. And I have a specific process to help you busy folks to get it done in less than four hours. That's to getting that first draft out and letting, letting editors do what they do. Uh, but not only getting the book out, because a lot of people would talk about, a lot of publishers would talk about, let's get you bestseller, bestseller status. It's very easy to game the system to get a bestseller status. It's very easy to do a lot of software to help you get that done. So what I focus on is helping you take that book and use it to grow your business. So how do I get on more sales stages? How do I get on more podcasts? How do I bring in more leads that are now qualified because they've read my book and understand what I'm talking about and now become better clients for you? So not only you sell, write the book, we sell the book, and then create the back-end strategies, the emails, the follow-up sequences to grow your business. That's what I mainly focus on. Um, outside of that, I'm a daddy. Uh, two two child two kids. Well, I can't say two children because one my son is twenty two, and then my daughter is eight. So it's like I have two kids, one child, <laughs> so to speak. Um, y'all, I'm loving this 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 thing that I've been doing, man. Being out here, being a copywriter, which is really what I am—a copywriter who helps people write books. And that that helps understand the types of books that I help people write. Um, they're still very good educational books, but they're marketing. It's a long, very long sales letter directed towards their ideal market. Yeah, there, there's a lot of terms in there and a lot of uh, descriptive things you put in there. Um, I'm a copywriter. Let's take a... What you expect? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I actually have a good friend of mine who used to copyright a long time ago. I'm, I'm going to make sure she uh, listens to the show because I want to get her thoughts on this. But uh-huh. um Talk about, and real quick, so mm-hmm. I think you said 20-year-old, 20, 8-year-old. 20 yes. I mean, that's that's a book in itself, but how, yeah. do, how do we go from 20 and then, say, 12 years later, hey, let me just pop another one out. The, neither one I want Not in exact it. words, people. Yeah, Nobody I know what to say. You're all good. You're all good. No, it was both of them were unexpected. One was back when okay. I was in college, um, being a playboy. And then the other one being I was just grown and doing what grown folk do and then just kind of. There was a woman I was supposed to, yeah, it kind of happened. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, neither one of them planned. So, you, you have a unique story um, from yes, reading sir. your background, mm-hmm. and uh, we could we could get into the publishing and all that in a second, but I want to yep. talk about going from addicted, or an addict facing 12 years in prison mm-hmm. to becoming a best-selling author. That's I mean, that's a story in its own, but talk yes, about sir. that journey and, and your story to getting where you are today. Excellent. Uh, so, here's the thing. I remember... Uh, sitting on this hard jail cell bunk and I'm sitting there trying to figure out how I got there again. Cause here's the thing, Dave, uh, it was my third time that year being locked up for the third crime, obviously, but for the same crime, all of them felonies. Hmm. 
So if anyone knows of anything about the penal code and so forth, you get locked up for the third time. You got the three strikes rule, which means mm-hmm. you do not pass go. You go directly to jail full time. Yeah. But God had a different different plan for me, um, obviously, because I ended up going into a drug reentry program, which meant that once I spent that, I spent that nine months in jail and I got out and I had opportunity to clean my life up. But before I got out in that nine month waiting period, I started working on myself and I had two goals. I was either going to be ready for prison. So I was doing a lot of lifting and learning the game, <laughs> all that type okay. stuff. <laughs> but then the other thing was I was going to come out a different man. That was number two. Mm-hmm. So I started developing myself spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. And about six months in, I started writing this book like, you know what? I think I know what to do because I had been in personal development. Like I went to Howard University on a full athletic scholarship. And I transferred over to a academic, full academic scholarship so they could use my scholarship to bring on more, more um, student athletes. Right. So and I graduated with honors and a chance to go play pro ball up in Montreal for the Expos. So I had the skills and all that stuff. And I started acting a fool afterwards. So I knew what okay. to do. I just wasn't doing it. I was acting a fool. So I decided, I don't know if I'm going to end up going back into jail again. So let me do something for my kids. Because I knew I had another child on the way because my daughter was born when I was locked up. Hmm. So I wrote these ideas down. I had a little yellow piece of paper, legal paper, folded in half. I wrote you a cover on the outside and wrote the table of contents and then started handwriting out this book. I thought it was awesome. But I, when I get out, and I then take that book and decided I need to do something with it. I need to become publish it. So I type it all out, and it was like 20 pages of glory. Like, I knew it was like the truth, right? And, and Dave, guess what I did with it? Nothing. Nothing. Mm. Nothing. I don't know why I knew that answer. <laughs> but 18 months, I didn't do anything with it, because I, I believe, mm. similar to my man Zig Ziglar talked about, because he's the one who put the idea about putting a book and writing a book. He put it in my head. He said, everyone should write a book, but not everybody should publish. And he was saying that partly because you write the book for you can help your family posterity, not prosperity, prosperity. Mm-hmm. But he also uh, had his book come out himself where he wanted to live out the principles of his book before he published it. So he had to get his So he was overweight and he had to get his life back together as far as his weight and all that before the book came out. And I felt the same way about my book. I need to live out my principles and not go back to fall victim to recidivism and go back to jail again because it had been a revolving door for me. So I lived out those principles and a great woman named Cashel Kelly challenged me to go to stop taking God's glory and start telling his story. And that's what shifted me into getting on screen and really start talking about what God had done for me through my books and other things that I was doing. Man. Um, so a, a couple of things uh, stand out. So I've, I've never heard anybody say they prepared themselves essentially to screw up again by getting themselves physically ready to go back to jail. Um, and I, I want to dive in that just for a little bit because yep. that mentality says that I'm preparing to fuck up again. Mm-hmm. So, so how did, I mean, I get it. You're three strikes at that point. You're preparing for your four strike essentially. Yeah. Um, what mindset were you in at that period in your life? I mean, yeah, you, the other side of that, you're, you're preparing for writing your book and mm-hmm. your, your child coming, but the other side, that dark side was, yeah, I might just fuck up too. So mm-hmm. what mentality, what mentality was that? My dad talks about being, um, to prepare for the best, right? Like get yourself ready mm-hmm. for the best, but also be prepared for the worst to happen. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that I was going to get into that program. 
So there was a good chance that I would, because I had been to court multiple times and they had kept pushing it back, pushing it back, pushing it back, pushing it back. So there was a good chance I could go to prison for the next yeah. 12 years of my life. I was 154 pounds going in the prison, going in the jail. Okay. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so I needed to I need to put some weight on and I put on yeah. like twenty pounds when I was in there doing push ups with people on my shoulders and all types of stuff. I got strong. Right. And I just started learning the mentality of someone that's in there. How do I start doing this? I've created my own store. So like I know how to make myself valuable. So I was learning the tricks of the trade, if you will, to make myself mm -hmm. valuable so that I can never protect myself. Okay. So I was preparing for that worst inevitable inevitability, but with all hope the guy and faith that God was going to bring me out of there when he thought saw fit. Cause there was a certain moment in there. I was, um, been about, again, it was around six months where I started writing and all that stuff. It was a six months mm -hmm. where I had a green folder and I was like going into going to see the judge inside this folder. I had all the things that I've been doing right. And then I had some other paperwork and forms in there and I'd written a Psalms 23 prayer on the inside and I've been reciting and was ready to go in front of the judge. But when I get in front of the judge with this paper, late, with this folder ready to present to him, he tells me they weren't ready. Hmm. So I went, when I got back on the block, I went to my prayer closet, which is basically a cutout window with my Bible inside of it, right? Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm like asking God, no, why am I still here? Like, I've done everything. Like I've done everything you said. I've been praying. I've been leading a Bible study. I've been staying out of trouble. I've been reading. I've been doing exercise. I've been doing, I've been doing all the things. Why am I still here? And I just got quiet as I looked out in the parking lot. I just heard this voice that said, you're not ready. Hmm. And for some reason, I accepted that. But it also was confirmation that it was a good chance I was getting out. That I would just need to keep doing what I was doing. It was ready for me to, to be birthed, if you will, because people were talking about the nine months. Be birthed, if you will, that yeah. I was going to be ready for it. And that was a gotcha. piece of it. Okay. And I, I promise you we're going to get to the, the focus of the conversation. But I, <laughs> I want to touch good. on, I, I, I have these follow-ups that stick in my head. And um, so HBCU, I'm going to talk yes. about how real quick. Birthdays, oh, yeah. by the way, a Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated, yes, in case sir. you didn't know. My, um, my dad's a Sigma. Oh, good man, good man. Um <laughs> Let's talk about your HBCU experience, um, yes, sir. because that's uh, something that's very prideful for many, many black oh, people. Absolutely. Um, I did not go to HBCU, but I do have pride of being around people who did. One, mm -hmm. Some of my best friends with HBCU, Link University, which was the first HBCU, mm -hmm. by the way. Mm -hmm. um, but talk about Howard University. Talk about, you said you were on a full academic scholarship, or excuse me, athletic scholarship, transferred to academic. Mm -hmm. um, talk about that experience at Howard. So Howard was interesting for me. Um, my father brought my sister up around in the white communities and his idea as we learned later on as adults was he wanted us to know that we were just as good as every other race. And so he brought us up, brought us up with them. So when I got to Howard, I was been around white culture for a long time. And I go to a Howard University, it's, the things had reversed. There's like one white girl on campus. Everyone knows who she is, but she was cool. But one white girl on campus, right? Um, and I'm looking around like, I didn't sag. I didn't do any of that. Like I had button ups and you know, like that was, they considered, they said, my name is Dwight. First name is Dwight. They would call me the white boy. <laughs> like that's mm. what they would, they would wow. tease me with, but mm. I didn't change. I knew who I was for some reason. I, I had that confidence about who I was back, even back then, but that the developments in me and the pride, cause I was in the chocolate city, DC, like there was, mm all colors of black folk around me and seeing black folks succeed at the level that I was seeing. Cause the only thing I saw was like my parents and stuff like that and their friends, but I didn't see 
I wasn't surrounded by black folk, the environment that they were succeeding. Lawyers, mm -hmm. attorneys, business uh, business people, entrepreneurs. And then there's a whole different hustle mentality that I learned from my people from the East Coast, from New York and oh, Florida yeah. and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, this is how you get my... Like, they taught me different mentality about going out and getting it. And I married those two things with the education that I got from uh, Howard University because I did get a very, very good uh, education, specifically something like when I, I don't know if they do in other universities, but I know they did at Howard. I was in a school of business and we had to wear suits my freshman year on Tuesdays and Thursdays going into the school of business. So it was like taking on this image of what you, what you want to be. That's part of the reason why I continue to dress like that. Yeah, I wanted to dress for success. There's actually a program called Dress for Success because it works. I feel, I look good. I feel good. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I dress <clears throat> like the man. My dad taught me to dress like the man I want to be. And that was part of the reason why I started continuing to dress the way I did, even when I was on college campus. I didn't wear dr uh, jogging pants and stuff like that. I didn't. That wasn't my style. That wasn't me. So it just kind of evolved me and massaged another part of me that was dormant, so to speak, because I wasn't in that culture. Gotcha. Yeah, for the record, when I was in college and I went to a PWI, um, okay. I walked around in shorts and T-shirts. <laughs> yeah, that, that's I kind of got that from but that's the DWI. culture yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's the culture that's kind of what I do it's winter time in the mountains I'm still walking around in shorts and t-shirt mm -hmm. um, so let, let's shift for a second so let's talk about multiple streams of income yep. um, and why it's important to have them um, but before we get into why not everybody knows what that even means so can yep. you talk about what actual multiple streams of income means why it's important and if you have specific examples to share oh absolutely so multiple streams of income is like this. Um, Rockefeller. Rockefeller once said that he would rather have 1% uh, of the efforts of 100 people than 100% efforts of one person. So he would, but he was talking about as having multiple businesses because at any one point, one business is doing phenomenal. The next business is losing money and it got a whole bunch in between that are doing okay, break even, somewhere around that. But at no point is any business... Uh, he's not susceptible to any one stream of income. Most people who are working jobs have one stream of income and then they go get a second job and they consider themselves have multiple streams of income. True. That is multiple streams of income, but it's also taking more of your time. But what the wealthy tend to do is find assets that can create and develop that will continue to bring them income. Either they're going to, it's an asset that does it by itself like real estate, things of that nature, you can put some uh, management companies and so forth in there, or you may have stock markets or things of that nature, crypto, that are gonna continue to bring you, generate income for you without, you, without mm -hmm. your management of it, really. Um, but they also have other things like businesses that you may have to manage with. I may have to create a business here, business here, business here, that are all bringing in a little bit of piece of my income and to collectively, they help me to uh, to grow, my, grow myself and my business, right? That gives me a little, leeway in case something happens over here the stock market goes down or the real estate market goes down or my business is not doing well these other areas are probably going to support me okay so that's multiple streams of income now that's one one respect to that right having different areas but within your business you can still have multiple streams of income and what i mean by that is i, I give you an example of how i created it and then you'll see how you can do it for yourself especially speaking to my coaches and consultants and speakers so this last book um, is called The 4-Hour Book Now, but originally it was called How to Write Your First Book in Less Than 4 Hours. The way I created it, Dave, catch this, and I think you'll respect this. I created a workshop 
There's going to be a half-day workshop. People are going to come in. They're going to get ready, start uh, get writing their book and get them up with these ideas and so forth. So when they leave out of there, hopefully they'd want me to work with them, right, of course, <laughs> to yeah. help them finish publishing the book, right? But mm -hmm. I charge for that mm -hmm. workshop, okay? First stream of income, the mm -hmm. workshop. When they come to the workshop, I just had my Evernote up and I started recording it. Right. And I just went through these bullet points, basically my outline for my book. I put it down in front of me and I just taught from the outline for my book. I'm, I'm planting a seed right there. So I took that recording and I chopped it up and became the first version, the first course version of my course on how to write your mm -hmm. book. I took that audio, transcribed it remixed it and turned it into the first version of how to write your book in less than four hours. Okay. And then I took that same structure for the outline that I taught for the workshop and used that to sell on my high ticket sales. Can I have to add a little caveat here? Y'all, we don't have to be so great at selling when you have a great product and a structure. Most people want to know you can, that you know what you're talking about. You have a way to yeah. get it done. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I speak, when I, when I have a sales strategy call with someone, I have my structure. Here are my 10 steps. I basically ask questions based relative to each step in my process. And when I finish, if you have all 10 of them answered, then you don't need my help. But if you missing step two, step four and step eight, then I know I can say, well, based on what we just discussed, you need help here, here, here. And I know I can help you. Why do I know I can help them, Dave? Because you've done it before. It's my system. I ask yeah. you questions based on my yeah. system, yeah. right? How does Ford, how can you can go into a Ford dealership with your Ford car? They have a whole list of what it's, what this Ford Explorer is supposed to, how it's supposed to work. And they go mm -hmm. through the diagnosis based on what it's supposed to do. And they tell you they can fix it because I'm a Ford dealership. It's my vehicle. And it's based on these diagnosis, diagnostics. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Same thing happens, okay? So I just got a caveat, just throw that in there for y'all, get a little bonus. <laughs> well, it's literally, it's literally what they call selling itself, right? Selling, yes, essentially, yeah. essentially. But if you see there, I, I, I got paid for the workshop. I turned it into a course, sold the course. I turned, the, I turned it into a book and I sold the book and used the book, leveraged the book to get on more podcasts, get on stages, things of that nature. And then I used that same structure to sell high ticket. My first uh, uh, client in there for just under $3,000. I didn't even have everything laid out. I just had the structure. Hmm. Those are multiple streams of income because I can continue doing work workshops based off that same outline from my book. I can still sell that book. I can still create more courses, right? And I can also go ahead and do more coaching and consulting from that. That's yeah. multiple streams of income within the business. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, so <clears throat> if you're looking to start that, it's yep. identifying something that's sellable Yes. That's appealable, marketable, mm -hmm. even if you're not good at any of those things. Mm -hmm. So here's the thing. Usually when we're talking about our coaches and the consultants, we want, I prefer them to actually have some desire in it. And the mm -hmm. reason why I say that is because I, I have a goal of help. And this is just for me. Um, I have a goal of helping transform a million lives with my author's books. So I need you to want to be in this game for a minute. And mm -hmm. to go write a book, it requires you to really want to push that book for the next five years or so. If you're only going to write the book and then be do or do away with it, you just too much effort, too much energy to put it. It's yeah. too much time and money to put yeah. into a book for you to just be done with it three months from now. And you're like, Oh, I didn't sell and you're done. No, you got to keep remixing your marketing until you find the right hook for that market. Mm -hmm. Right. And then sell everything else. So 
I do want you to what I call I call it MVP niche. MVP niche. You need to have a market. Okay, so the M stands for market. So that's a market out there, meaning like you're diving down deep into the three key ones. You have your your wealth, you have your health, and then your, some people call it happiness or relationships, whatever one you want to call there, right? Diving deep into those main three categories until you find your niche, okay? Um, value. And when you go into V stands for value, that means are people buying stuff in that marketplace? Because there are marketplaces mm-hmm. out there that people just – it's just it's just hobbies. They're not really buying yeah. anything, or it's so new, and you think you're breaking in some new market, and you got to create like that takes a lot of work to create a whole mm-hmm. new market. Okay, yeah. tap into one that's already there. So are people buying it? That's V, and the P is a passion. It's something you want. I would prefer you to have passion for it because you're actually going to be transforming and diving into people's lives. So mm-hmm. it probably makes sense that you have a passion for it and really connect with your audience and get some results from it. The MVP niche. You find that, and then you can start finding. Um, <laughs> Growing your business from there. Gotcha. So I opened this whole thing up talking about how I've uh, been intending (laughs) to Uh write a book for a while now. Um, But the bigger question is, why should I? Why Mm -hmm. should a professional like me Mm -hmm. um, or anybody, me Mm -hmm. specifically, because it's me and you talking about (laughs) it. But um, why should anybody write a book? The, The three key things that I think happen from writing the book. And this is backed up with my podcast, Wealthy Author Podcast, where I interview authors on how they're leveraging their book to grow their business. Um, one of the questions in there I ask is, how has a book changed, helped you? What has a book changed? How has a book helped you um, in your business? But also, what have you learned from writing a book outside of how to, you know, write a book? So the main thing they say is, my book helps me get indoors that I didn't know I could get into. Because it creates a level of authority. There's certain, so we think about this as a speaker or as someone who is speaking, uh, you know, there's somebody's talking to two people in a coaching area, right? One of you has a book, the other one doesn't. Who automatically has more authority? The person who wrote the book on it. Mm-hmm. So there's one, that's authority. So it obviously gives me, it opens doors that I didn't have open to me before. Um, the second thing is it gives me clarity. Because here's the thing, Dave, we're having a conversation. You can ask follow-up questions, right? Mm-hmm. If I if you read my book, you you don't have follow-up questions for me. No. I have unless to be so... You. Unless they hire me, right, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is going to be the third thing. But so the... Yeah. Um, so I have to be so clear in my messaging and in my... in what I'm delivering through my content that you get it without me being there. That you can take my book and go on and, and change your life, transform your life in whatever area the book is about from the words on the page. So it requires mm-hmm. me not only to be able to to communicate what I'm saying or what I'm thinking and what I'm believing, but also be able to break down your barriers, introduce new concepts, and hit you all types of readers on different levels. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, that requires a whole lot of clarity. The third thing is it opens the door for you doing a whole lot of follow-up. Here's the thing. Um, some of your best clients, if not the best clients, are going to come from people who have read your book or who at least purchased your book. Because think about this. It's easier. Is it easier or harder to sell someone who's already bought something from you? It's multiple times easier. No, it's not just little. It's multiple times easier to sell someone who's already bought something from you. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, because there's there's some psychology behind it. But part of that psychology is that I don't want to feel wrong. So by me giving you money, I've already agreed that you're worth my money. 
And if I didn't don't want to buy anything from you, that means I've just now said I made a bad decision. And we don't want to make call ourselves making bad decisions, especially when it yeah. comes to giving out money. I don't care if it's twos and fews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> all my money. <laughs> yeah, all my money is valuable. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, when I when someone purchases their book, they're more than they're going to read your story. They're going to they're going to think about this. Just like what a podcast. Why it's more intimate. Because they're listening to your voice. It's literally mm-hmm. going in your head. My words are going in their heads. When someone reads a book, when you read a book, my words are still going in your head. That's a more intimate conversation. You curl up next to a book and you highlight and you get focused into it. We're communicating through the page. Mm-hmm. So now I've connected with you on a deeper level, a different level than just a, a typical sales call. And now it's easier for me to follow up with you. Gotcha. And don't forget, people, you can curl up the Dave's Head podcast, new episodes released the second or fourth Friday of the month, except in the summer, my birthday month, December. Curl up with me anytime. Um, quick follow up, though. Um, yes, sir. I'm not much of a book reader. Is yep. it important to be a book reader if you're going to author books? Yes and no. Here's what I mean is that you got to remember this distinction, Dave. There's a difference between a writer and an author. A writer is someone who turns ideas into words, right? He conveys a message. An author is someone who has a message. Mm. Okay. So an author and a writer can be the same person, but they don't have to. That's the reason why you see so many celebrities who are authors. Do you think they wrote them books? Probably not. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So there's the key thing. You So even if you don't read a lot of books, if you're clear about your message and what you're trying to deliver, you may have been doing it for years now. You've been talking about it and, and, and coaching people or consulting and doing, you know your industry, right? Mm-hmm. So you can still convey that and you convey it to a talented writer Now, then takes your ideas and converts them into the written word. So you don't necessarily have to be that well-read um, person in order to become an author. Does it help? Yes. And the reason why it helps is because you start, just like you're doing anything else, the more you get into a subject, the more you get acclimated to it, the more you start taking on and start seeing subtle differences without being ha- having to be told that. Plus, you start learning different styles. You know what? I think I kind of mm-hmm. want to write like this. I don't like this. This is too much. That that's writing style is not going to work for me. And you wouldn't know that. You wouldn't know that unless you're doing a lot of writing yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned style because um, last week as I was beginning the preparation for this interview, I started actually thinking about my own book that I wanted to write. And in my head, I kind of crafted a style Mm -hmm. for the book that I wanted to write and started actually visualizing how I wanted it to flow and tell the story and all that stuff. I actually took it all the way to a movie in my head. But um, (laughs) that's what's up. But um, talk about crafting your book, because I think that kind of translates to style pretty well. What does crafting your book mean exactly? So here's the thing. Some people think that, and that's, that's an excellent question. Crafting your book is about putting the the book together itself. Um, because some people think I got an outline and I just start with number one and just work my way down through it. That's kind of how thing. I started, by the way. <laughs> and there's <laughs> well, nothing like wrong a year with ago. That. That's how I started. Yeah. <laughs> but so here's, here's, here's the thing. I, I, and I thought it's such a day that it help you give a little more incentive. You don't have to write the book in the order that you're gonna. It's gonna be re- uh, read. Mm. You can start with the parts that you feel confident in, because here yeah. all that momentum's gonna make you want to continue writing that book. Mm. Right? You having a really good day, a really good week. All right, now you tackle a subject that you're not. You're not really as confident as you were in the other ones, or that you don't like as much. Even if you are the confidence of teaching and all that, but maybe it's more like I just don't. That subject doesn't really like. Ah, it doesn't get me pumped up, but I know it's important. Mm. 
right? So it's a little harder to write something that you're really not into, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> so uh, crafting the book means you can put it right in in whatever order you want, but also I'm going to have an editor that's going to come in and say, you know, this section might need to go up here because the reader needs to know this first and mm. and then that helps understand this subject over here. And matter of fact, this chapter probably needs to be at the back of the book because it doesn't make any sense. It, it, it throws everything off in the middle. And maybe we need to group these three sex chapters right here. And in these three sections over here, it's crafting the book as in putting it together. Not only that, but we also got to think about the cover, how it conveys a different message. Um, and then we have to look at the whole structure from the beginning to end of that book. Okay. When I say crafting isn't like I'm taking people on a journey. Mm-hmm. So even though I've got the words and they're in the chapters in the right order, does it take me on a journey so that now I'm basically just following along and I can put myself into this journey that you're taking me on so that at the end of it, I want that result that you just took me on. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, <clears throat> so is, is, which you just described part of the story framework. Is that what that is? is yes. That Look at you You're doing your homework. <laughs> listen, uh, listen <laughs> I, I, do, I do my research. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, talk about the story framework. I mean, oh, this feels is like, feel things. like to me, you just described it, but go ahead and lay it out. Yeah, absolutely. So the story, the story formula um, is what I have taken and marrying storytelling, the craft of storytelling, or excuse me, the art of storytelling with the science of persuasion. Okay, and what I mean by that is storytelling is the way that uh, the best way that we think about parables and Christ and different people who are very great storytellers that are communicators. You get into that story, and in that story, they then can make, uh, attach a message to it. Again, big, big Les Brown fans talking about never tell a story without a uh, without a message, never tell a message without a story. Right? They need to, they need to go together. Right? Yeah. So the same thing's gonna happen. Um, for this whole persuasion piece. The way I talk about the story formula, we start off with, and this is also analyzing a lot of best-selling books that I thought were fantastic. There are certain elements that I saw in each one of these books, okay? Most of them, every one of them had most of them. Some of them had all of these pieces. Mm-hmm. So we have a story, a story is an acronym to help you remember, because it helps me remember, not for y'all, it helps me remember, and it helps y'all remember too. <laughs> gotcha. Story stands for, st- the S stands for statement. Um, so you got to make a statement about what you're trying to say. You've learned that in writing classes for your whole life, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, the T stands for tell a story. Literally go through, and there's a couple different ways, or several different ways of telling a story, whether that's a, your personal story, a story from one of your clients, like a case study or something like that, or it is a, a made-up story, okay, or something you heard from somebody else, okay? Tell a story. Uh, that sets the tone for the, ne- the, rest of the rest of the chapter. The O, there's four parts of the O. That is the that is the obstacle. That is the opportunity. Because with every obstacle presented in that chapter, there's an opportunity for change. So we got to present the new opportunity to them. Okay, obstacle opportunity. The next two O's we have the objectives, which are what are the steps on how to change, right? What to do this thing, and then objections. Because somebody's going to li- read that and be like, I can't do that. So there's an internal objection. We need to deal with that. Hmm. Um, there is an external uh, objection. Some people say. You know what, somebody that doesn't, I don't know if I can do that itself. Not because I don't believe I can do it, I just don't think I can do that. So they have an objection mm-hmm. to that external thing. And then there's that whole belief objection, like philosophy, like that doesn't align with who I am. So we gotta break, because whether that's something just their, their parenting has done, um, the society has done, 
or it's just some philosophy they picked up in their culture or whatever, right? We got to break that down too. So we deal with that. Those are the four O's. The R stands, there's two R's, review and reviews. The review, me, uh, the reviews, excuse me, reviews and review. The reviews means I'm going to talk about how this has been in true life. Like give an example of how that's the, what I've talked about in that chapter, how it worked in real life. Okay. So now it brings it all the way home. I'm showing my receipts right there. You can call it, I guess I can change the receipts nowadays, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> your yeah, receipts, yeah. right? Yeah. The, the next R in there is review. So we're kind of recapping the story. This is what I just taught yeah. you. So again, another yeah. key thing, tell them what I'm going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what I told them. That's another way of communicating very well. Mm-hmm. So this, that the R review is reviewing the chapter. That's what I just taught. And the Y stands for your ensuing step. We want people to say yes to something. Get them to say yes mm-hmm. to something, whether that's to taking some action after this or connecting them to the next chapter we leave a hook netflix is really good at leaving a a, a, a cliffhanger to make you like you know i'm gonna watch one more episode and i'm done then yep. they hit you like damn you netflix mm-hmm. and now you hit the play again you let it ride to the next movie you want to do the that same 10 thing second count doesn't help either <laughs> no because it's make a decision make a decision, make a decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so again that's all game theory and all that playing into mm-hmm. yeah creating yeah uh anyway so you want to do the same type of thing, hook to the next chapter or hook them to saying yes or doing some activity. Now that's for each chapter. But guess what, Dave? The same thing happens for the entire book. My introduction is the statement. And in the beginning, in the next, in that first chapter, I need to tell the story of my story, who I am and why this is important in my business. You can, that can be very short, but you also tell the story of history of what has happened in this industry or in this area that your specific topic you're talking about. Right. So people understand why it's important, what's been going on or who you are, one or the other. All right. And then we go into obstacles. So like around chapter two, you should be really talking about what is wrong. What what have people been believing that is not really true? And of course, you're going to live into that, that new opportunity, which is what you're saying. This is what you should be doing. Mm-hmm. And then the bulk of the book is those objectives, which like here are the steps to change it and the um Objections. So you're breaking objections all the way throughout the bulk of the book. And then the last couple of chapters, we're talking about reviewing the book. And of course, I'm sorry, there's case studies also mixed in the middle. So you got the yeah. objectives, the uh, objections, and the review. So case studies and personal examples all put all throughout it. And then the last chapters of the book, we got a review of what they just learned. So they got a recaps, a recap of the whole book. And then we got to, you're instilling stuff. We got a future pace. We got to tell them what, what's possible for them. And in that getting saying yes to you means now here's how you can contact me or buy one of my courses or go to a mastermind. That's what's at the back of the book. So the whole structure of the book is story formula. Each chapter is story formula. Wow. So something that popped in my head before you actually answer that, and it stuck me the whole time, <clears throat> just opinion. Why does Stephen King get this right so much? Guess what, Dave? Stephen King ain't writing his books no more. Oh! Because I told you. I just told you. You ain't got to be a writer to be an author. Mm -hmm. He wrote a lot of his books. Nowadays, he has ideas and stories, and he has writers write them, and then he said, no, write that again. That don't sound like me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. I mean, that's me, yeah. But Stephen King wrote a whole book called On Writing, and he talks about his whole uh, process of how to get good at writing. So if you really want to know more about Stephen King specifically, go to Stephen King's book on writing. It's called on writing. But one of the things he talks about is like, um, he doesn't look for inspiration because he's a writer. He doesn't look for inspiration. He gets inspiration every day. I think it's at like 9am or something like that. 
He writes every day. He writes every day. <laughs> That's how you develop. And some people have a skill. Some people have a craft. Or develop, you know, they have that. They just have that it, right? Yeah. But the rest of us, we work at it. And for you, for those who think, like, I'm not a great writer, you don't have to be a great writer. Guess what? Stephen King still sends his book to editors. Hmm. And the editors kind of, you know, go in their massages like, you know what? I don't understand what you did right here. This might, can we tie this up and touch it up? They do their thing and mm -hmm. uh, and punctuation, all that type of stuff. You don't have to do all that. That's what the editor's for. See, I really get this through your head. You just need to have ideas. You can find writers and you can find editors. You can hire them to make your book say what you want it to say. Mm. And if you're really not good at it, if you're really not good at writing, you don't want to necessarily write it, you don't even want to write your ideas down, talk the text is your friend. Dictate it and have it transcribed. Because you may, you can get your ideas out of your head the way you want them to get them out mumble go through it and you say it over and over and just capture it all and then you just send it to a transcriptionist and now you get it to working with an editor who's going to clean that all up and make it say what you want to say i'm not gonna lie so that very moment something clicked to me because i hadn't i'm like a, a computer guy i got laptops i got like five laptops two computers i'm always in front of them <laughs> as much as i use my phone i've never thought about just dictating the book to my phone yeah until right now and yeah. as much as i've sat in there and thought and even kind of talk to myself a lot. It's just a Capricorn mm -hmm. thing. But as much as I talk to myself about this book, I've never thought about picking up my phone and just recording what I'm saying. Yeah, Dave. So I got I to do that. I give you I give you a simple strategy for this. Um, and I have I got to send you a copy of my book too, so you get a copy yourself. The what I call the four brain strategy. Very simple. Four brains. The first brain is a brain dump. So we dump all ideas we want to have for the book down. Okay. And this is how I'm gonna eliminate your writer's block for you with this strategy. For all of you, anyone listening. Not just you, Dave, but you, Dave. <laughs> Got it. <Yeah>. Just me. <laughs> One is the first brain is a brain dump, so we dump all the ideas down. The second brain, uh, second brain, um, is a a brainstorm. So we're gonna take those ideas and form them into groups that are common. And there might be a pile that's called extra, like or miscellaneous or WTF, like mm -hmm. because you don't want to filter any of your ideas that are coming out of your head. If you just get a random squirrel thought in there, write down squirrel. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. because when you start filtering that thought, you filtered other thoughts that actually were coming out because your analysis and creativity are two different sides of the brain. When you stop creativity, which is the brain dump, and you start analyzing what you're doing, you've switched off creativity, and now you're missing the next creative thought. Don't do that to yourself. Just put it out all on paper, brain dump. And then the second step is analysis where we start putting everything into different areas and all those squirrels and random thoughts or that's good, but it doesn't fit this book. You put them into another category also off to the side. We use those later. Yeah. Okay. So brainstorm or uh, we got brain dump brainstorm. Then we do a brain map. And most of y'all know it as an outline, but you know, this is for brains. It needs to say, I'm calling it a brain map. Okay. Yeah. So we just structure all of those <laughs> brainstorms into a logical sequence. And I just told you the logical sequence story formula. Okay, mm -hmm. so we organize them into logical sequence and we may add some other bullet points under there just like you would do any regular outline. Now, here's the key. Up to this point, some people already know all these things that kind of like that makes sense. Here's the thing. Two pieces there uh, here, Dave. We have the Zygarnik effect and we have um, intuitive elaboration. Okay, psychology. Remember I told you I'm marrying art and science all the time. <laughs> so mm -hmm. uh, the Zygarnik effect is reason why when someone asks you a question or a name of somebody, somebody's name, I like to use a, a name of a movie character, and you can't remember right then. It's on the tip of my tongue, can't remember it. But mm -hmm. then what happens, Dave? An hour, 
a day later. Two hours later, yeah. Boom. That's the Zygarnik effect. Your brain doesn't like open loops. So it's still trying to figure out the answer to the question that, that, that happened to it. Okay? The second one is an elaborative, uh, elaborative, uh, elaborative illumination. And this is what happens when people ask you a question. When you ask, someone asks you a question, your brain basically shuts down to focus on the question. That's the reason why you can be focused on something and your wife or your mom or whatever comes and asks you a question and you answer the question and you can't remember what you were doing. Yeah. Because your brain shut down everything else to answer the question. So how are we going to use that? In the fourth step, I call it brain prompts. Hmm. Brain prompts. So we're going to take the outline you created, the mind, the brain map you created in step three, and turn each one into a question. And so now, Dave, when you're riding to work or riding to whatever you're doing or walking around the house on your regular jog or whatever, you take one of those questions, answer it into, answer it into your phone. The average person speaks at about 150 words per minute. So if you if you do record three to four hours worth of content, you've just written a 150 page book hmm. by recording it one question at a time. Now, the other part of that is because you've answered that question, you only answer that one question, you know what the next question is, so it's already in there. So that that is the Zygarnik effect. So it's already starting to answer the next question. So when you go to speak tomorrow, or even if you just say, oh, I'm going to answer this question tomorrow, which is the better way to do it, then the rest of the day, your brain's coming yeah. up with the answers. And when you go to speaking into the phone the next day, it already has it for you. It. Yep. Hmm. Wow. <clears throat> so you, you kind of answered my next question, which was, um, what would you tell people who don't feel like their ideas are good enough or afraid to write, you know, mm -hmm. why they should, or what they should do? Why would you, what would you tell them? Yeah. Um, I think you kind of answered that in mm -hmm. many ways, but... Um, if you could put it in, say, one sentence, yep. what, what would you tell people who think their ideas aren't good enough why they should write a book? And I hate those questions you, where you're limited to one, one sentence, but, no, but try it. Anyway. It's all good. It's all good. It's all, it's all good. You were meant to change someone's life. So mm -hmm. go do it. Okay. That's a great answer, by the way. <laughs> well, um, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's a great answer. Um, all right. So, last question before we move on to the next segment. Yep. Um, you've authored several books, and I'm going to read it, the list of them really quick The Four Hour mm -hmm. Book, Free from Silence, mm -hmm. uh, 12 Success Stories of Overcoming Secret Shame and Sadness, mm -hmm. um, another book, Overcoming Procrastination. We all need to learn how to do mm -hmm. that. Um, how to Stop Procrastinating, Change Your Limiting Beliefs, Live Your Life, Live Your, Live Your Purpose, Live in Your Purpose, excuse me, mm -hmm. um, and Start Making Things Happen. The one I want to focus on, though, briefly is this one. Unlimited Potential, How to Stop Loving with Fear, Doubt, and Uncertainty. Yep. Um, talk about what prompted that book and what you wanted the reader to get out of it. That's the book, Dave. Uh, that's my baby right there. And I really don't take really much of the proceeds from that book because that was, that was one of those downloads, Dave. Like, mm -hmm. that was one of them sitting down, <clears throat> and I, don't, I get up from writing, and I'm like, what did I just write? Like, that was a spiritual download. And that was the book that started off in jail. That was the one I talked about where I had those, uh, the piece of paper, legal paper, and I wrote it down. And then that, that spiritual business coach told me to stop taking God's glory and tell a story. The idea for that book was for me to leave something for my kids to know how they could become, tap into what God had created them to be. 
in case I went back out to being something stupid, I wanted them to have a roadmap. Stop, don't follow dad's example. He's at, he done messed up again. Here's what you do. When I was clear-minded and really in touch and really connected with God, here's what he told me to tell you. So that's what that book was for. It's written for my kids. But so many people have written that, have read that book and been like, it felt like he was talking to me, like I needed to mm -hmm. hear this. And that's interesting, Dave, and that's a great point there also when you go to write your book. Make sure you're, you're talking to one person. You're talking to an, an ideal reader. And the reason why that is so important, one, is because you can talk and really connect with that one person. And plus, when that person reads the book, they're going to feel like you're talking directly to them. Mm -hmm. That's what I wrote it for. And I, I wanted to make sure that they understood that fear, doubt, and uncertainty is going to come up. But you have a divine purpose. You have, the, if you develop the right mindsets, which is your attitudes, your beliefs, and your commitments, all aligned to a personal mission. God's going to do the rest because um, I love this phrase. I don't know who I got it from, but I've been I've taken it on as my own for a long time now, which is God can't steer a parked car. Hmm. So you got to go out and start doing that, going towards your personal mission and all these little pushes and nudges and thoughts and ideas and signs are going to come guiding and direct you. People are going to come into your life to push you towards where God wants you to go. Stop looking for your purpose. God's going to guide you toward your purpose. Not everyone know, comes out the womb knowing I'm going to be this. And the mm -hmm. skies are probably not going to open up and say, you shall be. That's probably not going to happen either. But he continues to guide you. Gotcha. And if he's guiding people in Philly, he's got problems with potholes. Because it's, you know, it's, 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 it's my hometown. Listen, I love Philly. But listen, they got to do something about these damn streets. Um, um, I did have a follow-up, and I popped it out of my head making that joke. Um Oh, that's what it was. Um, have your children read the book and given you feedback? No, my son, my daughter being eight, she hasn't read it yet. Yeah. Um, but she she would definitely she's I've been putting instilling the principles into her the best as I can into a into a child. Um, my son, he said he started reading, but that's about as far as he got. He's more happy that daddy reads a book and that he can tell other people my dad wrote a book type of thing. Um, gotcha. He's not the reader that I am, but it's okay. I'm a full blown nerd. <laughs> Listen, I, I get it. I'm a nerd. I just don't read. I read technical books. Like I don't read, you know, fiction, nonfiction. I read technical stuff. But, no worries. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's the end of the Q and a section or session, not section. And now I'm going to move on to my favorite segment, my guest called first thoughts. But first, first thoughts is brought to you in part by SRA solutions, simple solutions for complex problems for over 15 years. SRA solutions has provided today's solution to prevent tomorrow's problems. SRA Solutions will provide you effective, efficient, robust, and reliable business intelligence, application, website design, and PC support services. For more information, check out their website at www.sresolutions.org. Now, Fortune, the way First Thoughts works is mm -hmm. I give you a word or a phrase and the ideas, what's your first thought? To my guests, I always say, if you've never heard of this or it's the first time tuning in, shame on you, but I'm happy you're here. I do not provide this information to Fortune because that would obviously defeat the purpose. So, right. with that said, Fortune, are you ready? I think so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get it. Let's get it. All right. So, the first, fourth, first thought is audiobooks. If I say audiobooks to you, what's your first thought? Everyone should have them. Okay. Love them. And feel free to, to elaborate as much, okay. yeah, as, much or as little uh, as you yeah. want. Absolutely. Um, Yes, everyone should have them, and that's that's from that's speaking specifically from authors. Because here's the thing: people have different learning styles. 
Um, and my favorite books I have on multiple formats. I have an audio book so I can hear the author reading the book out, but I also have the physical book so I can highlight it in it, right? So the audio books is for those people like my father who do not read but will listen. And even because he reads it and he'll forget what he read. Very educated man, but hates reading. But if he listens to a lecture, he absorbs all of it. So the yeah. audiobook is for those readers or the person who's real busy and wants to read but doesn't have really have a lot of time to do it and they can do it though but they're willing to do it on the ride to work or working out or things of that nature. Okay. Another side of that, man, there's something about getting uh the audio version, multiple versions of a book into you, the visual, um, but yeah. also the auditory. Gotcha. So follow up real quick. So Barack Obama does the audiobook for his own book, and I forget which one he did it for. Is that mm-hmm. concept cool, or is it just like it's just somebody reading their own book, like to, to have to listen to like Michelle Obama, Barack Obama, Oprah Winfrey, you know, do their read their own books and have it in an audio format? Is that cool or just eh, whatever? It depends on what the how they're doing it. If they're just reading it to be reading it, no. But if they're reading it to really engage you and the voice inflections and giving you like really trying to, um act out or present that book, then yes. Because who, what kid didn't like when the grandma or the teacher read a book to him and you just sit there and get into it, right? But then it's also that author's book. You wanted to hear that person's thoughts and now you're hearing their thoughts from their lips and their voice. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it creates a different sense of connection as opposed to someone who's just reading the book. But if they're into it, yes. Yeah, like the dry eye guy, you know, the, the guy from the commercials <laughs> back in the day. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> All right, next first thought, uh, you kind of touched on it a little bit, uh, but writer's block, what's your first thought? It's not a thing. Writer's block is only a thing. It's it's more like my dad used to say, uh, proper, proper, uh, proper prior preparation prevents piss mm-hmm. poor performance. And yeah. writer's block is piss poor performance because you didn't prepare ahead of time. I literally just gave you the whole thing about how to, to prevent writer's block. And if it's because you don't like to write and writing clouds you up, Plenty of books have been written through the ages who they just dictated their ideas to someone else, a stenographer or whatever they're called, a, a secretary, and got that thing down. Okay? They mm-hmm. got the ideas on the paper and someone else wrote it out for them. That is not a thing So, because you're not prepared. Because here's what I know, Dave, for a fact. If I ask you a question in person about something that you're passionate about and you are very knowledgeable about, you're going to be able to communicate to me for yeah. 10, 15, 20 minutes an hour, depending on an individual. So there's no mm-hmm. such thing as writer's block. Hmm. So it's a preparation block. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I like that. All right, so last uh, first thought, imposter syndrome. What's your first thought? <sighs> imposter syndrome is for high achievers. The research shows that majority, over 70% of people who suffer from imposter syndrome are themselves high achievers. So if you suffer from this, it's a good chance you are a high achiever. And the thing about this is you're more than likely trying to put too much pressure on yourself for the things that you've already done. There's so much work that could be done on you, on your self-belief. Now, that imposter syndrome is probably part of the reason why you became a high achiever. Because you are constantly trying to prove yourself. Not only to other people, but to yourself. So when we start developing that self-belief and start celebrating my successes, it's actually going to propel you even faster because you can move even faster with that positive energy than you can with the negative energy holding you back. 
No, I, I love that. And I, I will say, not that the other answers you gave weren't passionate, but you could you feel something about imposter syndrome. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it turned it turned it turned the flame on a little bit there. Yeah, my I mean my 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 master's degree is in in psychology with focus and um, emphasis in life coaching. So there's part there, but then my master's degree right now, I mean my my doctorate is in psychology with a focus in human performance. So my goal is to help people do what God designed them to do, help them become more who they are. So imposter syndrome holds some people back. So yes, I'm very passionate about that. In other words, that was a softball. Yeah, it was a softball. <laughs> okay. All right, so uh, before I let you go, this season, uh, I'm turning over power to my guests, um, a segment that I call uh, T.O. First Thoughts. Um, T.O. is a great friend of mine who came up with this idea for this season that I should allow my guests to ask me a first thought. So, Fortune, anything we've talked about or any topic at all, you get the opportunity to ask me something, a word or a phrase to get my first thought. What's your first thought? Fraternities. Fraternities. Wow. That's a rough topic for the last 24 hours. But um, <laughs> what, I, what I'll say is, and it's something totally that nobody knows about, but um, what I'll say is fraternities can be very powerful or um, very inhibiting. And I'll, and I'll say that because um, I think every organization that I'm a part of, for, for the most part, um, has the little clicks, little circles, little power struggles. Um, people who want to do because of the clout people want to do because they want to get back. And I think that's with fraternities, that's with nonprofits that I'm part of, that's, that's with every organization I'm part of. And when done right, when leaders lead for the right reasons, fraternities are very, very powerful, positive uh, portions of the community, especially the communities they serve. Um, when you have like anything, whether it's politics, whether it's uh, fraternities, whether it's police force, uh, organized, not organized crime, uh, the criminal justice system, you have people not doing things for the right reasons, it corrupts. And corruption from within is one of the most dangerous types of corruptions. Um, but I'll say for those who are thinking about fraternities, Phi Beta Sigma is a great fraternity. But if, if you're thinking about uh, fraternities, um, go into it with the right idea of what you can give to the fraternity and how you can elevate the fraternity. Um, what I always do for every organization I'm a part of is I look at the state that it's currently in and how I can make it better. Whether it's a fraternity, whether it's not profits, whether it's my own business, whether it's mentoring children, mentoring youth that I do, how can I make this situation better if I were to walk away a year from now, five years from now? Um, long, long circle to go around and say, um, if you're thinking about joining a fraternity, think about how you can make that fraternity better than the day you came in. So, excellent. That's my first thought. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Do I got you know, okay. I don't know what it is. You know what it is. The last like three guests have all just been piling on multiple questions. But go ahead. <laughs> All right. So the other thing here is I, I want to ask about uh, networking. Cause I feel like you're a great networker for some reason. Yeah. Networking is, I think, one of the most powerful tools and most underutilized tools, especially for young adults. Um, I don't think we start mm. early enough with networking because we should be networking from college with organizations that we can do internships with and getting into those circles for the industries that we think that we already know that we want to be in. I mean, we kind of have an idea we want to be a doctor. We kind of have an idea we want to be a psychologist. We kind of have an idea we want to be a teacher. And so we have opportunities, especially in high school and sometimes in junior high, to get inside of these circles and just have mentors guide us way, way earlier than we're using them. Um, but networking is a powerful thing. I join all types of groups. I go to different events. I network and meet people. There are people who I've had on my podcast that I met from just being out there socializing. Um, there's a cardiologist, black cardiologist, who just actually got an award um, last year. I met him through a cohort that I was a part of for nonprofit boards. 
um, great, great guy. I gave him some great advice. Um, I think the, uh, if I see if I can remember his advice, um, if you have to kill it to eat it, um, eat less of it. I think it was something like that was his uh, phrase that he had on my show, which basically says eat less meat. Um, mm-hmm. but he's a cardiologist and he, he was talking big about that. And I kind of told him, listen, I love my medium rare to rare burgers. <laughs> I love my medium to rare steak. Um, this is why I work out, um, so that uh-huh. I can kind of counteract those effects. But, um, long story short, uh, networking, like I said, is the one of the most powerful, but also underutilized tools that we have, especially as professionals in various industries. I think we need to network a lot more, not be afraid to get out there because one, um, for somebody like me who doesn't care about speaking, you can put a microphone in front of me. I'll talk all day. There are a lot of people on the other side of that who just, they freak out, they piss their pants, all that stuff. If they had to speak mm-hmm. publicly, networking will help you get comfortable speaking in groups, large groups, small groups in front of people. You don't know people who are in tax brackets. You can't imagine all types of things, but it'll get you comfortable speaking. That's one of the big benefits I see about networking. Excellent. Excellent. I want to ask you about one more philanthropy. Yeah, go ahead. Why not? <clears throat> philanthropy Philanthropy. yep um or giving back uh, however you want to how you want to phrase it yeah no that's how i took it um for me I, I look at is the the estate planning life insurance all that stuff i have is stuff that i'm never going to see it's for my family all that other stuff the money that i have in my possession right now i can use it on the things that i care about which i do I use it for my leisure, which I do, but anything that I have this extra, I like to give it away because, um, you never know how that $1, that $15, that $30 can benefit somebody. Um, I actually asked someone, um, whose sister is going through some cancer. Uh, she just had a, a cancer treatment yesterday and she mentioned that it was a GoFundMe. Now I will preface this by saying I'm not the biggest fans of GoFundMe in certain situations. I think right. it, it annoys me to no end when I see GoFundMe's for funeral, because that means we didn't prepare. Um, mm-hmm. which happens a, a whole hell of a lot, but this is a GoFundMe for medical payments for cancer. You know, cancer is expensive to treat and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and I asked her to send me to GoFundMe because, you know, if I have $20, $50, $100, I can send to it. That might help. You never know what pill that may get her with IV. They may get her all that stuff. Um, I look at money as something that we can set aside for our family after we're gone and we can enjoy while we're here. Um, mm-hmm. I use a zero, zero based budgeting. So every time I get income, it's 100% allocated to something, including that something may be giving money away. Um, yeah. Because, you know, at, at the end of the day, the way I look at money is it's here for me to spend. I worked hard for my money, so I should be able to choose how I want to spend it. Now, granted, I'm not going to compromise myself. I'm not going to find myself on the street because I didn't pay my mortgage or my rent and all that stuff. But I'm going to make sure that I enjoy the money that I have. And if that's part of that enjoyment is giving it away to someone, then that's what it is. Excellent. That's enough. I'll let you go. it just turned into a whole different interview um but uh fortune i do want to thank you for stepping in dave's head great great conversation by the way um before i let you go as always i give my guests an opportunity to promote anything or talk about anything you want so uh, if you have anything to promote or talk about feel free to do so now oh absolutely um the current thing to look at right now for me is if you're thinking about writing a book you've been you've been writing a book or you're ready to write your next book and you didn't like the way the last one went, there's a great process that I go through called the Signature Book Formula. In fact, you can go to SignatureBookFormula.com to learn about the five phases of my system. And also hear some, from some other people who have had great success going through this process. Again, it's a 16-minute video, so I'm not having you there all day. And this is for people who already know they're ready to go ahead and move forward with writing their book. Um, that 
it's it, signaturebookformula.com. But if you're just thinking about it and like, I'm like, you know, I'm not ready to write, but I want to have some ideas. I do have a, a planner for you. Um, that that's going to be at uh, drlandofortune.com slash Dave's head, drlandofortune.com slash Dave's head. There is my whole checklist and planners and all of that stuff is all in this one document. It's going crazy right now. I got ads for it, Dave, and it's just going crazy right now. So if you want a copy of that to get the whole process and see what I take people through and you can do it yourself if you want to. I hope you come to me, but if you don't, you can use this process uh, to get it to get it done for yourself. Again, that's drlandofortune.com slash Dave's head. I definitely appreciate that. And I actually will go do that because like I said, I, when it's all started, we're coming full circle now. Um, <laughs> I've been talking about doing a book for a while. I've had multiple people on this podcast or different seasons where I've talked about writing a book and they, they've literally said to me, you should do it. You should do it. Or here's how you do it. I'm going to finally do it. I'm, it's something I'm going to start with. And especially the one thing I've never thought about all these years is using the thing that I have in my hand probably eight hours a day, which is my phone, to just start mm-hmm. dictating the words and the thoughts that are in my head. I can come back to it later, but just getting the words out there, getting it dictated, getting the process started. So that's what I take from this. That means the most to me. Um, and I hope that my audience checks it out. Just give them that website one more time. Yeah, we got Signature Book Formula. If you're ready to start writing right now, SignatureBookFormula.com. And if you want a copy, just want a free a free download, a PDF on my process and how you can get started with your own book, literally my whole checklist of my whole system, that's at DArlandoFortune.com uh, forward slash Dave's Head. All right, man. Definitely appreciate you stepping in Dave's Head Fortune. And thank you. Take care of yourself, man. Absolutely. My favorite segment of my podcast is my grin, which stands for great reason to be in love with now. June is National Men's Health Month. It's an opportunity for us to stop, pause, and as men, do the things we need to do and should be doing year round to ensure that our health is at peak form, tip top shape, and that we extend our life expectancy for those besides us, our family, friends, people who care about us. Access Point Community Health Centers provides a few facts about men. According to the CDC, the average lifespan of men is about five years less than women. And over the years, there's been a gradual increase in this gap. The top three causes of death for men include heart disease, cancer, and unintentional injuries, living a fast life. Men are almost twice as likely as women to die of a heart attack and significantly more likely to die of cancers compared to women. Men are also less likely to undergo treatment for mental health conditions such as depression, resulting in nearly a four times increased likelihood of committing suicide. A higher percentage of men do not have health care coverage. When compared to women, men make about half as many doctor visits for preventative care. I've talked about the Superman syndrome before in this podcast. I've known people who've had that condition or mentality. And it gets to the point where it's too late because you've lived this Superman mentality life for so long. That you've looked past the things that your body's going through. You look past the fatigue. You look past the pain. 
Superman syndrome is a big problem amongst men. For many reasons. Pride, personality. Some of us are built that way. We're built to push through any and everything. Even at the detriment of ourselves. Men tend to be involved and employed in more dangerous occupations such as mining, firefighting, and construction. This is true. Those are dangerous professions. Statistics show that women are 33% more likely to visit the doctor and 100% better at maintaining screening and preventative services than men. I'm going to read that one again. Women are 33% more likely to visit the doctor and 100% better at maintaining screening and preventative services than men. 33% is not that big of a gap. I mean, it's a gap, but it's not that big of a gap. 100% is ginormous. That means for every single woman out there, every single man does a worse job at just doing preventative care, preventative treatment, screenings, checkups. You're wondering probably why the heck is this a grin? What makes this a grin? It's a grin because we have an opportunity. An opportunity here to motivate, guide, mentor, kick in the ass if necessary, the men in our lives to go to the doctor, go see their primary care, go get screened. There are five recommendations that were made. First is stay updated on your vaccinations. Now, we're coming out of COVID, obviously, and depending on conditions in your body already, you may need a COVID vaccination to prevent your body from succumbing to COVID should you contract it again or the first time. There are people out there who have never had it. I'm not one of them, but there are people who have never had it. Not only do immunizations keep you and help you stay healthy, but they keep your body's immune system functioning at its highest level. Vaccines are usually recommended at the time of your annual visit with your primary care physician, PCP. So for some, you should get them all. I've never had a flu shot. I get asked all the time, do you want a flu shot? No, I don't. My body is healthy enough where if I have gotten the flu, my body's just, you know, been down for a couple of days and I've been good. It's a personal choice, yes. And that could be a symptom of superhero Superman syndrome. I get it. But there are certain things that I want my body to build up a natural immunity for and to fight off. Now COVID was different. COVID I have every immunization and booster that that hit different the second thing is do your screenings screenings for diabetes thyroid disease liver issues anemia cholesterol prostate exams colonoscopies lung ct blood pressure and weight height checks bmi by the way side note bmi has said for 20 years that i'm obese i weigh about 190 pounds of 511 and a half yes i keep using that half 511 and a half, 190. That says I'm obese. I think we need to start looking at categorizing athletic and athletes versus non-athletic and non-athletes. And I'm not saying this in a disparaging way for people who aren't athletic. I'm saying that when you are used to being in the gym for, you know, hours upon a time, 
multiple times a day. We're used to practicing. We're used to running. We're used to doing all these workouts. It's a different body makeup. Muscle, fat, compositions are very different. And so not to say that I'm walking around at 4%, 5% body fat because I'm not. But 5'11 is not obese. Um, and so I think there needs to be some sort of adjustment, whether it's the CDC or whoever does it, health, who, whoever. Adjust the BMI calculus for people who don't necessarily fit into those whatever mold that they came up with. It's a little wrong. But even depression screenings, get those screenings. Again, this goes back to scheduling vaccinations, scheduling checks with your PCP. The third thing is lower your stress. Now, this is way easier said than done. I get it. Statistics show that men have more difficulty handling stress than women. Now, there are many reasons for this. Um, and this is in my opinion. One, men are a lot less likely to communicate their level of stress, the difficulties in their life, their frustrations, things that they're going through. A lot less likely to communicate those. Women have circles of friends. Women have people they can outlet to. Just think about the, the circle of people in your life. And my observation, the people in my life, women have women they can go to. Women even have men that they can go to. Guys, for the most part, have those people, but do not use them. I'm guilty of that myself. I internalize a lot. I also handle stress very differently. I release stress with a quickness, but that's part of my 555 thing. I'll release stress very quickly. Now, I may bake on it a little bit sometimes, but I release stress pretty good. <clears throat> but stress itself is linked to high blood pressure and body weight. So it's important to take time to focus on activities and things and people. I think it's important to, to emphasize people who will lower your stress because who you're around, who you deal with, who's intimate in your life, who has access to your space, your time. That's important. It's not just work and activities and finance and all this stuff. It's about the people in your life too, because the people in your life can lower the stress or greatly increase the stress in your life. And so take that seriously as well. The fourth one is watch risky behaviors. Now they talk about limiting alcohol consumption not smoking, routine, routinely getting tested for STDs and practicing safe sex, all those things. Avoiding illicit and non-prescription drug use, medication use. Um, but they also talk about dangerous practices. For the longest time, I had a car way back in the 90s that used to make the most annoying beep if you didn't have your seatbelt on. I didn't like wearing a seatbelt back then. I drove a Audi A6 or A4, whatever it was, Audi something. I could, get, I could get up in this car. I could get over 100 easily. Hated wearing my seatbelt. And what I used to do is put the seatbelt behind me into the buckle and then just relax on the seatbelt. I would lower the adjustable height as low as it can go. That way it sat behind my shoulder blade, so I didn't really feel it. It killed the beep, but if I got in an accident, it could have killed me. It wasn't until... I got into another car that ironically didn't really have an annoying beep that I started wearing my seatbelt and I haven't stopped wearing my seatbelt since. But it talks about dangerous behaviors, not wearing helmets, riding a motorcycle, doing things that are dangerous if you don't do them right, right? 
You can ride a motorcycle without a helmet. Get from A to B perfectly fine. But that could one time that something happens, you hit the ground, slide, hit your head on a sidewalk, hit your head on a pole, hit your head just on the ground. That could change your life. You can drive a car from A to B without a seatbelt on. But it's that one time you get T-bone. It's that one time you get in an accident. Now you're going through a windshield. So it's about doing less risky things as well. Now, side note, I do want to do skydiving at some point. I wanted to do for my 40th birthday. 40th came and passed. I wanted to do for my 45th. 45th came and passed. I do, I'm going to do it at some point. And hopefully the parachute works perfectly fine. Um, the last one is watch what you eat. Now, I talked about this with my guest, uh, Fortune, and it's Dr. Corey Ellis, which you can see behind me, maybe somewhere. One side of these. There he is, right there. Oh, wrong side. There he is, right there. Right there. Right there. Yep. Very hard for me to do the whole reverse mirror thing. But fortunately, if you're listening on Spotify, you didn't hear see any of that. If you're listening on Apple, you didn't see any of that as well. But avoiding large amounts of processed food. And what Dr. Coriella said was, you know, if you have to kill it to eat it, eat less of it. So for somebody like me who loves my burgers, loves my steak, moderation. Not saying that you can't eat those things. Moderation. And working out as well. Um, don't eat foods that are highly processed, a lot of sodium. Work on the lean proteins, foods with good nutrition, good vitamins, less cheeses, which, you know, I've done a good job of eating less cheese. COVID, I was I was eating tons of cheese. And my doctor made me stop. She's like, your cholesterol is good, but it's never been as high as this. So um, if you come back and it's higher, I'm going to put you on cholesterol meds. So you can stop eating so much cheese or I can put you on meds. So I stopped eating so much cheese. Um, and my cholesterol is great. But those five things, staying up to date on your vaccinations, doing your screenings, lowering your stress, watching your risky behaviors, watching what you eat. Those are all important things necessary to extend your life, extend your life expectancy, close that gap, at least individually, with the average for women. It's interesting to me that as active as a segment of men are, and if you look at men in different buckets, right, there are a segment of men who are extremely active, they're runners, or they're athletes, basketball, football, baseball, all these types of things. And then there's a segment of men who are the polar opposite. Don't exercise, eat like crap. You know, just don't do the things that take care of their body. And we have to find a way to get those men either educated enough about their bodies, about what they need to do to, to live healthy lives, or get them caring enough to do the things to help them live longer lives. I have an annual physical later this month. Happened to, I didn't even know that this was um, Men's Health Awareness Month, by the way, until recently. But um, actually, it's a Men's Health, yeah, National Men's Health Month, excuse me, until recently. And so I wanted to make this my grin because it's not, this isn't exactly the most positive of my grins. And they've kind of had this trend all, all season. Where it's not necessarily the brightest rainbow of things, but it's awareness things. It's things that, to get you to recognize some things you can do better in your life. And if you do better in your life, you'll grin a little more. My advice, though, is, and I'm going to say this as bluntly as possible, B 
be honest. First, schedule the appointment. If you don't have an annual physical schedule, schedule one. But be honest with your PCP, your primary care physician. Be honest with him or her. Mine is a her. Um, no thing too big or too small to mention. Whether it's a pain you keep having in your finger or uh, ringing in your ear or whatever. Or if it's palpitations every single day in your chest. Whatever it is, be honest because it builds your medical profile. It gives them an idea of what's going on with you. They understand what they can test for. You can get ahead of so many things. So just mention it. If you got to get screened and hopefully, hopefully you have good insurance where you can get these screenings done. And I would say if you need to put some money aside every month leading up to your annual physical, that way if you have to come out of pocket for some things, you just pull from that that war chest of medical funds to get the screenings done because the worst thing that can happen is you don't get screened. You find out something it's way too late to do anything about it. And now you're another statistic. So do the things we need to do to be here longer and put grins on the faces of those we care about. That's all. I want to thank fortune for stepping into Dave's head. Um, to say that I have a fire in me a little bit to get this book started. Now that I know that there's really no excuse for me not starting down the path of getting this book done. And I, I, I lied to you not. I'm very honest with it. I'm very honest with my thoughts, I should say. Um, I've never thought about dictating to my phone. As much as I have my phone in my hand or around me. I've never thought about, and I have iPads, I have laptops. I, they all can take dictation. Shit, there's a mic literally right here. I can do this anytime I want to, but I'm very hands-on. I'm very, got to sit in front of a keyboard on a laptop or a computer, even my phone, and type. I need to see the words, but to think I can just speak it, have it dictated and come back to it later is something that never crossed my mind. And so that's, to me, motivation enough for me to look into, okay, what do I need to do? to get this started. Check out his website, darlandofortune.com. You can find his books on his website as well. Remember, uh, he mentioned to get the checklist that he discussed, go to darlandofortune.com forward slash Dave's head. You can find him on Instagram and Twitter at darlandofortune. On Facebook, just look for Darlando Fortune. And on YouTube at Darlando Fortune. Support our sponsors, Digga Movers, for all your local long-distance needs. It's safe, insured, moving company. You can find them at www.diggamovers.com. And SRE Solutions, Inc., for all your PC support, website design, office, networking, all types of stuff. Check them out at www.sresolutions.org. And if you're interested in sponsoring on Dave's Head, reach out to me on any of my social media we can definitely make it happen. Pure joy, writing, and men's health. All great reasons to be in love with now. That's all for this episode of Dave's Head. New episodes release on the second and fourth Friday of the month. For all things Dave's Head, check out our website at daveshead.card2rs.co. Subscribe to watch new episodes on YouTube or Spotify video. Or to listen via your preferred podcast player, go to anchor.fm forward slash Dave's Head Pod. Thank you for watching or listening. As always, 
Enjoy life because life should be fun. Take care.